Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to Canadian Gothic, a series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Canadian Gothic, a nighttime series in which my pal Madeleine Klein and I discuss dark and unsettling Canadian stories. In prior episodes, the stories we covered have been chosen by Maddie and I. Usually it happens when something catches one of our eyes, or in some cases we use the show as an excuse to tell the other about a story that has interested us in the past. But this episode is something completely different. We're not choosing the stories tonight. We left that to an almost supernatural force that knows more than either of us could ever imagine knowing. Let me explain. Over the last few years, artificial intelligence has become a growing concern among society. Many artists feel that it's plagiarizing their work, writers feel it's devaluing theirs, and nearly everyone wonders how it will affect our future interactions with technology and with each other. Well, Madeleine and I wanted to see what the fuss was all about, and we figured collaborating with artificial intelligence is probably inevitable anyways, so why not give it a try now? What I did is I called upon ChatGPT, one of the leading artificial intelligence chatbots, and asked it a rather heavy question. Dear all-knowing artificial intelligence, what are the five most notorious Canadian crimes? The answer it gave led to a conversation that brought Madeleine and I through all sorts of different places. So I don't want to waste any more time setting this up. Let's get into it. In this episode of Nighttime Podcast, Madeleine Klein and I will begin discussing Canada's most notorious crimes, as decided by the ChatGPT Artificial Intelligence Chatbot. Ms. Madeleine Klein, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How about you? Things have been good. Life is back to normal here in Nova Scotia now that the majority of the wildfires have been extinguished. Oh, good. So that's a, good. That's a good thing. Um, what's new with you? What have you been? What have you been up to? Well, I'm well rested. I slept for eleven hours last night. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I was like, I'm gonna go to bed, and I did. I crashed. We had like a wicked storm that I almost slept through. I woke up to like a couple big booms of thunder, but like it was pretty rank our underpasses flooded as always but when i drove up to work this morning there was a tree that either was struck by lightning or was down by the wind i don't know but it like almost crushed someone's house oh. so i was like huh i was really out last night <laughs> yeah so what what kind of storm was it like just like wind and thunder and lightning and rain like the whole works yeah yeah i guess my husband said it like downpoured for two hours really do you which do you, never happens and you slept through i'd be disappointed if i slept through i love storms especially if it has heavy rain me too um do you go outside in them do you enjoy that um sometimes like i i wish i had like a nice covered porch that i could sit on and really enjoy the storm but it really depends which way the wind's going it, it doesn't matter if you have a porch sometimes but I'll, I'll watch them if I'm awake. Yeah, I have rain gear. I like, the, I don't mean going out on the porch. Like I go out on the street. I love to see where all the water is going and what's going on. I'll go with my feet and I'll unclog the manholes so the water drains. And my neighbors, I'm sure, think I'm uh, 
a strange person. I'll just put it that way because whenever it starts raining, I'm outside like running around the streets in front of my house. Your chances of getting hit by lightning are probably more than the average person. Yeah. And I embrace it. I welcome it. That will give me superpowers. Do you not read comic books? Oh, is that what happens? I assume so. Same with spider, uh, spider bites. That's why I touch spiders whenever I see them. I would chance a lightning bolt before a spider. They are gross. <laughs> anyway, um, we got to move on because people are like shutting. I, I'm getting stats right now. People are unsubscribing, <laughs> hitting pause, hitting stop. One person just shut off their phone altogether and reset it. Uh, let's talk about some. I can't blame them. We got a we got a lot to get into here. Uh, I do, didn't even introduce the topic yet, but before we do, I want to get your take on some recent. I guess this will be true crime, Canadian true crime news. Uh, are you a big fan of the show Law and Order? Uh, only SVU. That's Special but... Victims Unit. Yeah. Okay, that's. But... I think it's weird that you only listen to that because isn't. For correct me if I'm wrong, but Law and Order, the version I know is the one from like the 90s where every episode was generally like a murder that was being investigated and in Saul, like the first half of the episode would be investigating the murder. The second half would be like the trial or something. But isn't SVU, Special Victims Unit, isn't the whole spin on that version of the show? It's not like a murder. Isn't it generally like sexual assaults or children? They're, yeah, particularly heinous crimes. So if you recall the intro <laughs> okay well there's a new version of law and order coming that you may be interested in uh, i thought it was a joke when i first saw this uh, being spread around on the internet but the new version is simply titled law and order toronto toronto is getting its own law and order adaption i'm going to read you a short thing here in a press release issued monday city tv which is owned by rogers media announced the new crime drama dubbed law and order toronto criminal intent. The show will consist of 10 one-hour episodes following an elite squad of detectives who investigate high-profile crime and corruption in Metro Toronto. With production set to begin this fall, the episodes will showcase original Canadian stories written, produced, and starring Canadians. Do you think this is the right move? So original Canadian stories, does that mean they're making them up? Well, usually like Law & Order for the most part, it's fiction, but it's kind of like loosely like based. loosely based. Yeah. So, for example, I'm sure I don't, it's set in Toronto. There's probably going to be one about a guy who rents a van and drives into people, you know, like for as an example, oh, like the, yeah. they'll, they'll probably maybe they won't be that on the nose, but they'll they'll find like Canadian crimes or, or Toronto okay. based crimes and make episodes about it. It seems I'd be surprised if that's not what it is. Right. Yeah. Because when I first read about this, I originally thought they would be like copy and pasting real crimes and doing like a, a law and order on that. But no, this sounds much more plausible. I think that's what it'll be. I think it's a weird choice, but I think. Um, well, they've got enough material. Certainly. Yeah. But as anyway. long as they keep the theme song, I think it'll be great. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, I love that tune. <laughs> oh, who doesn't? <laughs> anyone it's like the x-files theme song yeah it's just it's it's so evocative as soon as it dun, 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 once that happens you're like all right crime yeah sit down just like with x-file you're like aliens yeah exactly <laughs> uh, and just yeah it's 
every, you recognize it right away. So, but let's get into our talk here. We're not here to discuss Law and Order, June bugs, or our interest in weather. Uh, we're here to initially talk about Chat GPT and AI. Is this is this stuff new to you? Do you ever use it? Have you played with Chat GPT? Uh, I didn't know it existed until you told me about it, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's pretty cool." Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just, it's very, very interesting. And it's weird that after the first time you told me about it, I started hearing about it everywhere. I was like, yeah. oh, it's like a, like the snowball effect. Just but. Yeah, it became big news. But chat GPT is, I, I guess, like the most popular of all the various uh, artificial intelligence chatbots that exist on the internet. Uh, and what they do, I guess a, a very basic way to explain it is chat GPT, this computer program will say has scoured the internet reading everything collecting all the information and compiling it and kind of learning from it and because it knows so much you can ask it questions and it can spit out some pretty intelligent answers and not only will it give you answers uh, in much similar as as how like google would if you ask google a question you know a google search can kind of give you an answer but what chat gpt's artificial intelligence could do is it can also like write essays or predict language styles. so i could say you know tell me about the sinking of the titanic in the style of a you know william shakespeare book or something and it'll use old english when it tells me the story of the titanic um, that said it's just pulling information from everywhere so it's not always correct it's sometimes it repeats itself and it's clunky but it's also surprisingly good at moments. But the dark side of things like ChatGPT's AI is it could put people out of a job. Because I could say to like someone like yourself and, and me who are, I guess, something like a blogger, I could say um, in 800 words, tell me the story of, you know, the unsolved, you know, murder, something, something. And, and it will basically write an essay that you could almost just like proofread it and edit it a little bit and publish it. Much like you see the programs that people use uh, on Instagram and stuff where they're using prompts to make AI images and animators and graphic designers are complaining that that's you know, stealing their work. So it's kind of a, a similar thing, but. I've also I read uh, just this one story that I read quite recently. Um, it can take a job in the sense that it can get you fired too. Cause I just read about a lawyer who used chat GPT for something oh, and it man. cited, it cited three cases that don't exist. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so oh. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. So careful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I could see it. And there's, there's a big um, debate about how kids are using it, especially like high school students. Cause it could, yeah. I wish they had chat GPT when I was in high school. Uh, oh. I would have, I would have done awesome. I was going to say, maybe I would have done better. <laughs> <laughs> I would have had a bit more free time, only slightly more free time. Because I'll be honest, I didn't spend a ton of time doing hard work back then. I was going to say, I had a ton of free time, but my schoolwork kind of, you know, Suffered I always used to say C's get degrees, and they did. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, tonight, ChatGPT is going to take center stage because I asked it a question that I, I was interested to see what its answer would be. I was also interested in trying to understand its justification for the answers, uh, the answer it gave. Because again, it is going to scour the internet to give 
its answer. And the question I asked it is, Dear ChatGPT Artificial Intelligence Chatbot, what are the most notorious Canadian crimes? And ChatGPT only took a second to think about it. And then it spit out a list of five crimes with a couple different kind of like, I'll call them dishonorable mentions that it included. Uh, and I think it's a pretty compelling list. I showed you the list. You agreed somewhat that this would be a good top five or five of the most notorious Canadian crime cases. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to go through the five that ChatGPT gave us. And we're also going to look at some others that it recommended for interesting reasons. Sounds good to me. Before we get into the list, I'm sure you probably had, you know, when you think of the five most notorious or well-known Canadian crimes, the five that ChatGPT spit out, are they in line even somewhat with what you would have come up with? Yeah, most of them were. There were a couple I was like, huh, that, that would make the top 10 notorious list, but I also don't know everything, so. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's get into it here. The first case is one that I know very well, and listeners of my show will know this well. According to ChatGPT's Artificial Intelligence Chatbot, the fifth most notorious crime in Canadian history is the case of Alan Leger. Leger, known as the monster of the Miramichi, was a serial killer and rapist who terrorized the Miramichi region of New Brunswick in the 1980s. He was convicted of multiple counts of murder and other crimes. Listeners of my show will know him well because I've done two episodes, maybe more. I think I've done two episodes about Alan Legere and followers of your videos will know as well because you did one? Yeah, just one and just recently too. So Alan this is one of the ones that didn't surprise me. It made the list. The only reason it surprised me was because ChatGPT is looking through articles, newspapers, books that were published about it, documentaries, you know, any kind of mentions of it online. In Alan Legere, I don't consider, like, of course, it's a high profile case. But if you think of Canadian crimes, it's not one that is like, you know, the most discussed, I guess. That's true. Uh, but Alan Legere, for people who missed my episodes or your videos about it, he was a serial killer and rapist uh, known for terrorizing the Miramichi area of New Brunswick at a period of time in the 80s. In the end, uh, he was arrested and convicted of multiple murders and a variety of other crimes. One of the things that make his case uh, historic and notable, other than just the brutality of what he's done, is it was the first instance of DNA being used to convict a criminal. I think in the, I don't know about in the world, but at least in Canada, it was the first time DNA was used in evidence as evidence uh, to get a conviction, which is pretty, which is crazy because 1989 wasn't that long ago. Yeah, exactly. But it's, I mean, yeah. a lot has changed since 1989. Color TVs were just around then, weren't they? Probably eight. No, color TVs were probably since the seventies. I'm an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe even late sixties. Anyway. <laughs> But I'll, I'll kind of, well, maybe we'll go like a story to story. I'm going to recap a bit of what Alan Legere did, and then we'll talk about maybe what makes, what would make this so notable. So Legere's story, I, I, again, I've, I've done a multi-hour series on it, but the very quick version of the story is 
Uh, it starts June 21st of 86. Alan Legere and two accomplices, Todd Matchett and Scott Curtis, they rob a convenience store in Black River Bridge, New Brunswick. After they cut the power, the trio break into the store where they meet the owners, who is an, el an elderly couple, John and Mary Glendenning. Uh, they proceeded to severely beat the couple, uh, including a sexual assault against Mary. Mary lost consciousness during it, and when she regained consciousness, she found her husband, John Glendenning, dead in the house with her. She called 911, reported what happened. Within days, I think day, the trio were caught. All three were convicted, sentenced to prison. But this is where it gets interesting is... While in prison, Alan Legere was like the model prisoner. He was always on his best behavior, became friends with the guards. He was buddy-buddy with everybody, but it wasn't because he was a nice guy. It was because he was gaining their trust to eventually take advantage of it and betray them. He really pulls it off on March 3rd of 1989. I think he had been in, the, in prison for like a year or two years at this point. He intentionally gave himself an ear infection and he did it by pouring urine that he collected he was pouring it into his ear or and he was also i heard like leaving it in bottles in his cell so it would like start to ferment pouring it in his ear as a way to get an ear infection so that he would need to be transported from the prison to a hospital for treatment it worked may 3rd of 1989 uh, one guard transports legere to a hospital in Moncton. While in the hospital, again, uh, Legere takes advantage of the trust that he's gained by asking that guard, like, I got to duck into the bathroom. You know, is that okay? The guard allows him to do it. When Legere goes into the bathroom, he removes a TV antenna he had stolen from the television in the prison. He had inserted it into his rectum to sneak it out of the prison, to go into the bathroom, to remove it, and he's using it as a he's going to use it as a shank a sharpened object what he does is he removes his handcuffs while in the bathroom has the tv antenna and he basically just boots the door open and just starts running to get out of the hospital he manages to escape once he's outside the hospital he carjacks a vehicle and begins his uh seven months of I don't know what you would call it, seven months of terror, because what he ended up doing is just hiding out for the most part in the woods in and around Miramichi, which is the small community that he's from. And he would leave the, he'd leave the woods to break into homes, mainly preying on senior citizens, breaking into their homes at night, stealing food from their, you know, from their homes, but also sexually assaulting uh, women primarily senior citizens. It seemed like his his thing was older ladies. He would steal them or he would um, break into their homes at night, sexually assault them, and arson was a part of it. Uh, during his time on the run, he murdered Annie Flam and attacked her sister. He killed sisters Linda and Donna, Linda and Donna Dotney. Um, he killed a priest, Father James Smith, and then he was eventually captured uh, in a carjacking gone wrong. He he was in Moncton, I believe, and then got into a cab and said, yes. "Like, take me to Miramichi, which is a long ways away." Yeah. So he like hijacks the cab, 
And then by happenstance, oh, it would, that's right. It was a snowstorm. So the cab driver goes off the road and then this mm-hmm. female RCMP officer checks to see if they're okay. And then he kidnaps both of them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then while he's paying for gas, she, she knows that cabbies have an extra set of keys. So they got the hell out of there. Yes. And then that- he stole a semi. Exactly. And that's when he, he got, he got busted in that, um, Ended up getting life without parole so for 25 years. He's applied several times and it has been denied every time. Thank goodness. Because no uh, I have a, a, a firsthand account of how nuts he is. Because after I did the episode about him, uh, he sent me a very uh, eerie and creepy letter in an enclosed in a Christmas card, easily the eeriest Christmas card I've ever received. And I can't imagine anyone will top a uh, Christmas blessings from Alan Legere Christmas card. There was a lot of psychobabble in that letter. Why do you think ChatGPT, an artificial intelligence program that's scoured the internet, why would it make Alan Alan Legere's crimes the fifth most notorious Canadian crime? Probably just because of how much terror he caused. Like his, like when he was at large and living in the woods, the people of Miramichi and surrounding areas were like, they didn't even want to go into their own house. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, can- they canceled Halloween. They were petrified. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, well, because it was so uncertain. No yeah. one knew where he was or what he was capable of. Absolutely. Yeah, they they canceled Halloween and they uh the uh, another thing that came of this is since people knew he was out there and, and you know coming out of the woods every so often, people were installing the secu- the motion detection security lights were which were also new at the time. That wasn't a common thing. People would usually like have like a light you would just leave on all night, not like the motion lights. So the motion lights, when people started installing them in the area, they, people simply refer to them as Legier lights. And according to people I've spoke to in Miramichi, to this day, if you talk to like some of the older residents, they'll still call them Legier lights, like almost like oh a slang God. word for those lights. Um, but he's That's now good trivia. Yeah. He's now like an elderly nutcase, uh, but I can't imagine he'll ever get out. Um, There's no way he hasn't taken accountability for what he's done. Like he mm-hmm. he doesn't understand the gravity of his crimes. Yeah, and it, even in the like in the letter he sent me, it's yeah he was blaming other people, denying it. It's yeah he's... he was like it was it was thirty years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's what the parole board <laughs> wants to hear. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like for someone who's a sociopath who seemed to charm his way to escaping prison. He sure lost that charm. But Legere being on this list, yeah, it's it's a heinous crime and it's well known in the area, but it isn't one that's that mainstream. Like there has there's been a couple like TV made for TV documentaries. There's a a book, two books that I, that off the top of my head about his story, but compared to other Canadian crimes I'm surprised that it made it on this list. I think ChatGPT really? got this one right, though. But oh, like, yeah. I, I think ChatGPT got it right, but I'm surprised it got it right because there, it, it isn't as well known as some other crimes in Canada. That's true. It's not as well known, but I think when it was happening, uh, it was like national news because my mom remembers it. 
Okay. I asked my mom if if she knew who he was, and she said, "Oh yeah, I I remember when that was all going down." So, and your mom would have been out west at the time. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So uh, she would have been thirty ish. Okay. So Alan Legere's crime was number five. Number four, I'll allow you to take the lead on this. The fourth most notorious crime in Canadian history is the case of Clifford Olson. Olson was a serial killer who preyed on children and teenagers in the early 1980s. He was responsible for the murder of at least 11 young individuals in British Columbia. Clifford Olson is the fourth most notorious crime, which I think is appropriate as well. Um, I just recently learned about Clifford Olson, which might might say something if it's you know is it that notorious but it really is mm -hmm. clifford olson killed 11 kids oh. between november and august of 1981 so only nine months wow yeah he was like the boogeyman of of bc actually they call him the beast of bc like so, like Alan Legere is the monster of the miramichi the beast that's of right. BC, and it's around the same time sort of right Yep. Wow. And just like Legere, he had a rap sheet at three kilometers long and break and enter, stuff like that. And it escalated to sexual assaults. But I think what makes his crimes so heinous and him, his crimes so notorious is not only did he kill juveniles, like all of his victims were between the ages of nine and 18. He didn't have a preference. He killed boys and girls. And he somehow, can, even after he was apprehended, he continued to terrorize the families. How so? So he was finally caught. Um, he would he would often sexually assault and torture his victims before ultimately killing them. Yeah, what, what was this like? Because it was he was targeting children. How what was his MO? Like, how was he getting these children? Do, do you know? He would uh, approach them with like a job offer. Oh, he, okay. yeah, he abducted quite a few from like around, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like an employment building or something, mm -hmm. um, which I didn't know lots of teens hung around, but a this couple in the 80s. were true in, in the eighties in BC. I could see it. A couple were abducted like from the mall right off their bicycles. Uh, he abducted one hitchhiker hitchhiking to her boyfriend's house. But yeah, he raped and strangled or bludgeoned most of them. He drowned one in a shallow puddle. Mm -hmm. It was like it was just bizarre. His MO was kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. But he was finally caught on Vancouver Island on August 12th, 1981. Mm -hmm. um, but he the so the cops were already um watching him. Mm -hmm. He he had uh, broken and entered a bunch of places and that's why they could pull him over i think but he was trying to pick up two underage hitchhikers they finally arrest him and then as he's saying like i didn't even do anything when they searched him they found a notebook with the name judy cosma in it and that was one of his victims she was oh. 14 oh, so that okay. was enough to arrest him they arrested him his story unraveled and so that was that he was guilty However, he made a deal with the police. He made a cash for bodies deal. Okay, yeah, this uh, this is I only learned about this deal that he made today when reading about him. This is the craziest I've ever heard. What is the cash for body deal? 
So he told police that he would give them the locations of each of the victims for 10 grand each, but he would give the 11th one up as a freebie. Which sounds nuts, but he did it and they paid him. Yes, all of the money, $100,000 was paid to his wife in trust. <laughs> like 81, uh, I just said this, but 81 wasn't that long ago. How did mm. they ever well, agree to that? These sort of deals with the devil are going to come up a couple times on this list. Uh, but this That's is definitely right. a deal with the devil. But, you know, when 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 that when that back in that day, back in that era, or even I guess today, when you hear of these crimes where they catch the perpetrator, but they can't find the victim. Um, What's the like? How, what is the right way to handle that? Oftentimes, the perpetrator continues to deny the crime, so they can't give up the body of the victim without you know confessing or something. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how to, to for him to say like I did it, but I'm not saying anything unless you pay me. Man, I I'm not like a hardcore proponent of the death penalty, but I think that's a case where like, well, we're going to kill you then. Right. And I guess they're not getting the bodies either. If they kill I, him. So what's the right yeah. way to deal with that? Well, and you know, you want these families to have closure, mm -hmm. but, and that's another way he would torment uh, families and other people is, so when he was in jail, families with kids that were still missing would write to him and ask him if he knew anything and he would like string them along. Mm. He would, he would, and that he would request like weird photos and Oh. for them to do weird things just to end up him like laughing in their face and being like no i actually don't know anything wow like isn't all male incoming and outgoing monitored why would they ever let that happen hmm. well but i think it's, it's probably I wasn't there it's probably monitored but not for content they're probably looking for oh. like you know is there drawings with like craziness or like stuff being stuck it should in be for out. content it should be yeah but yeah so he actually he applied for parole three times once was only after 15 years because he got 11 consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole for 25 years because canada right but at the time there was a it was called a faint hope clause where you could apply for parole after 15 years of serving um and they denied him in 17 minutes and this clause was actually abolished to murderers because of him they were wow. like we really got to deal with this good so yeah and then he applied for parole twice two more times 2006 and 2010 and he was denied in under 30 minutes both times uh, so another thing about his story is um so he got the money for revealing the bodies he got the the 10 the hundred thousand dollars but there was also a debate about him receiving money from the government while in prison the, yes he it became common knowledge in 2010 when he was 70. i don't know if he had been receiving it since he was 65 but it was like 1100 a month a little bit over and it was like an old age pension that's right <laughs> and yeah, people were just outraged. Well, of course, because he's obviously you're in prison. The government's already paying for your everything for you to be there for them to be then giving an old age pension that he's probably just spending on like at the canteen and cigarettes. The prison. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but this story specifically has an end. 
Alan Legier yes. is uh, applying for parole and wasting everybody's time and scaring uh, the people of Miramichi with the thought of him ever being released. Where's Clifford Olson at nowadays? Well, back in September of 2011, Cliff uh, Cliff kicked the bucket. He mm -hmm. was he had terminal cancer, I guess, mm -hmm. and was taken to hospital and died there. Can't say I feel bad. Yeah, I, I'm I'm okay. That didn't you saying that didn't affect me. No, not at all. Should have uh, happened sooner. His story, uh, horrible. Someone who's preying on children, um, obviously horrific. And for him to want money for the bodies and for him to screw with other people who are hopeful that he can help end their suffering and you know give them answers to their lost loved ones. Uh, a horrific story and horrible, a horrible series of crimes. But... I'm someone who I read a lot of Canadian crime news, watch book, read books, watch documentaries. I don't know. I didn't I still don't know a lot about Clifford Olson's story. I'm surprised that chat GPT can scour the internet and give us Clifford Olson as number four on this list. I think it's because 11 is a big number and it it's like SVU, particularly heinous because it involves lots of kids mm -hmm. and not only murder, but sexual assault and mm. and yeah, just like Legere, the people of British Columbia were petrified. Just like the Surrey area, mm. their kids weren't allowed out. Yeah. And in the 80s, that's all you did was play outside. Mm. Like he was a special kind of asshole. Yeah, but this is a list of special kinds of assholes. That's, that's what we asked, so. Let's move on to number three. This one, I don't even know where to begin with this story. According to ChatGPT, The third most notorious crime in Canadian history is the case of Russell Williams. Williams was a former Canadian Forces Colonel who became infamous for his crimes. He was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of sexual assault, and various other charges related to home invasions and thefts. This story, I think, is easily one of the more high-profile crimes in this list. Aside from just the how horrible his crimes are and how weird they end up being, he's also like a senior person in the Canadian military. So he's like, to a lot of people, like a bit of a star. And I will tell you, I have an aunt who um, is also like kind of senior in the Canadian military or Department of National Defense. And... Uh, she had known him she had met him several times at like work functions but he was kind of like her boss's boss sort of thing you know he was like oh, wow. pretty, pretty high up but she had she had showed me a photo she had with him and she had met him multiple times they weren't on like a first name basis but she described to me like when people in the department of national defense learned that one of their top dogs is not only being like charged with murder but it's like the most twisted, bizarre, just like unimaginable, unimaginably weird crime. So the short version is that Russell Williams was convicted of two counts of first degree murder, two counts of sexual assault, and 86 other charges related to home invasions and thefts that occurred between 2009 and 2010 in Ontario. So when you just hear that, you know, that that sounds bad, but when you actually hear what he did and how he was caught 
and what the evidence of his crimes were, it takes a whole different route. Um, so buckle up for this one. So I'll, I'm going to kind of tell the story based on how he got caught because I think this is uh, one of the most fascinating, fascinating pieces of Canadian crime video is the interrogation and ultimate conf and ultimately the confession of Russell Williams. The entire thing I believe is available on YouTube and CBC made a documentary based just on his interrogation. So the way it goes down is Ontario Provincial Police are investigating the disappearance of a 27 year old woman named Jessica Lloyd. Uh, she had disappeared from her home. The evidence left behind was tire tracks on her property that were and they weren't just regular tire tracks it was something unique that led them to be like okay these aren't regular tires so this is a good clue they also found boots uh boot prints in the snow on her back deck so they had the tires and the boot prints of the person that was responsible but they didn't really have any suspects so what the ontario provincial police decided to do is this kind of like you know when they do the uh I don't know what you would call it, just like a, a they stop they block the road and stop cars one by one and you got to show like i don't know proof of insurance or something what would you call that like a roadblock stop check a stop check they did a stop check on a stretch of highway for a just about a 12-hour period on a stretch of highway near her home um near missing jessica lloyd's home and what they were doing is they were doing this roadside stop check of every car that passed through they were just saying hi to the driver and looking at the tires they weren't telling people what they were doing but they were peeking at tires just by chance russell williams who is one of the senior people at the military base in this area he usually drove a bmw to work but for whatever reason twist of faith he drove his nissan pathfinder to work which wasn't a normal thing as he went through the stop check thing they looked at his pathfinder and they thought his tires and they said like oh crap i think those are the tires but they let him go but they certainly kept note of who he is what he was driving they're going to follow up with him a couple days later they call him and they ask him to come in for questioning again he's an important guy so he's very confident he's like sure i'll come down there and talk to you so he goes to the police station uh when he sits down it's uh and again, if, if you haven't seen the video of the interrogation, you got to watch it because he's so buddy buddy with the cop. He's so cool. But once they start saying like, your tires are a match, he's like, whoa. And then they end up saying like, and it's not just tires. We got boot prints. Can we see your boots? And when they say like, we got boot prints in the interrogation, you see Russell Williams look down at his feet to be like, oh, shit. He agrees. He said, like, you can take my DNA. You can take my boots. Like, I'll cooperate. Um, the boots were a match. The tires were a match. And they had them. And they all but said, like, you know, what are we going to do? Like, we know it's you. Like, how are we going to, what are we going to do here? And Russell Williams decided to confess to everything, warts and all. To his defense, it was a, uh, or in his defense, his confession was pretty full. And I believe the motivation was, he said multiple times, like, this is going to kill my wife when she finds out about all this. Russell Williams didn't want police like showing up at the house and turning the place upside down. And he said, like, I want to make this easy on my wife. I'm just going to tell you exactly what happened. And he explained to them 
that he was responsible for this crime. He explained where they would find her body. He explained where they would find evidence related to his crimes. And not only the crimes of two separate murders, one that he wasn't even suspected of, one of the people who were under him in the military um, had been found dead in, in her home. And uh, he wasn't a suspect. He wasn't being investigated for that. He admitted to it. But one of the things that he directed them to is uh, a spot in his home where he had saved photographs and keepsakes from his crimes. And yeah, he had his two murders, but he had a whole series of home invasions where he would break into homes, take off his clothes and change into the underwear of the people who lived in the homes, the females, and take pictures of himself. So he had thousands of photos of himself in women's underwear which is really weird to see a big military guy in like, you know, two small bras and panties, but he had directed the police to where they would find this stuff. And he pled guilty. He took full responsibility for it. Oh my God. <laughs> Did you ever see the photos? No, no, okay. I can't, I can't wait to, I want to look up this confession look. and well, what, all the evidence. What you should watch and not all the evidence, be careful. It's, twisted but you should watch uh cbc did two separate documentaries uh right around the same time and one was about russell williams crime and then the other was just specifically about the interrogation and confession because it, it's just amazing um but if, but event as i said he pled guilty he made it easy for investigators by telling them where everything was um he not long after that he did try to kill himself he tried to take i guess maybe this wouldn't be the easy way out but what he did in prison was he tried to kill himself by like he was on suicide watch so they were paying you know they were he was somewhere to, to keep him safe but what he did was he took a, a roll of toilet paper like the inner cardboard of toilet paper and he folded it up and tried to force it down his throat but the guards caught him and saved him which is a pretty weird way to go that's like, I mean, I guess we're like desperate times, but mm. that's, that is just the worst method the, that I could think of. Yeah, it didn't work. Uh, he ended up getting two life sentences uh, to be served concurrently with no consideration for parole for 25 years. Of course, he was stripped of his rank in the military, but much like what we just talked about with Clifford Olson, Russell Williams was able to keep his military pension, which is $60,000 a year. He is uh, still eligible for that. Apparently in order to remove a pension, there's some, there's some, some kind of like parliamentary thing that needs to happen. It's very complicated to remove a military pension for whatever reason they didn't Amazing do that. Amazing that murder doesn't cover that. Yeah, there should be a clause in there. Yeah, come on. Uh, when thinking about the most notorious Canadian crimes, Russell Williams doesn't surprise me that he's on this list because the crimes are heinous, they're bizarre. He was someone in a prominent role within Can Canadian culture, I guess we'll say. Uh, it's been written about all over the place. There was several documentaries and higher profile things on TV. So it's a case that if you search, you know, crime in Canada and Google it, Russell Williams' stuff is going to pop out. I'm not surprised that it is landed on the number three spot, despite there only being two victims in this case, two victims of murder, like two people lost their life. 
Well, I'm just wondering where have I been? Because I didn't know about this guy. Are you serious? No. Like at all. Like this case doesn't even ring a bell with the what? with the details. Oh man. But the, the photos of him in the lingerie are just nuts. And it's not like a couple photos. Like there's like thousands and thousands of them. And it's some of them are like like he had like there was pedophilia stuff happening so some of them are like children's underwear he has photos of himself just looking like just he's like in someone's house so all the lights are off because he broke in and he's just wearing that stuff and he's just taking pictures of himself with probably like a polaroid camera or something it had it, to have been you can't get that developed without someone raising a red flag that's it yeah you yeah know? i guess um yeah, I'm, oh I'm surprised. God. But where, where were you in 09 and 2010? What were you up to that you uh, didn't hear about this? I was not going to class. I would have been 16, 17. So you were yeah. in need of chat GPT is what I was. Yes. <laughs> no. And like, I've always been into true crime. But yeah, I don't even remember like my mom talking about it. Um, but I think it's the most notorious because of his status. Mm -hmm. He was yeah, he was just so respected in the military or wherever. Yeah, I, and... I'm saying Department of National Defense. It should be Canadian Armed Forces. I'm so used to like the American kind of terminology, but anyway, I'm, I'm wondering if he really cared about his wife or if he was just so narcissistic he didn't want to be embarrassed himself. Um, yeah, that's a good point. But then there's also if you're pleading guilty and you're taking it on the nose you're a bit more in control of it so could it also be a control thing like if you're if you're like i didn't do it and you got to fight them that's different where if you're like i'm just gonna take the lead on this i'm gonna take you know that's kind of maintains your control but he's also like you don't become a colonel in the canadian armed forces by being like a a soft weak person like he was right he was able to take it on the nose and i think most most people probably couldn't i don't know well, and he was he was fairly confident up until he knew that they had his boot boot prints. But I I wonder if he was just like, you know, if I if I go with the flow, if I am cooperative, uh, I got a lot of buddies in the system. I wonder if he thought that it would it would help him out at one point. Hmm. Maybe he really thinks he might get parole. Will he be alive in 20 or in 15 years or whatever? Uh, probably. Yeah. I want to thank you for joining Madeline and I for this episode of Nighttime. I'm going to pause the conversation at this point, but you're not going to have to wait long to hear our discussions surrounding the second and most notorious Canadian crime as decided by artificial intelligence, as that episode will be available in only two days after this one. So keep an eye on the podcast feed. Now, I'm going to start wrapping up this episode, but before we part, I want to call out to you for your stories. In the next Canadian Gothic episode, Madeleine and I will again break down a collection of your encounters with creeps. But there's still room for a few more stories. So if you ever had the displeasure of a creepy coworker, a nightmare date, a far too strange stranger, or any other type of creep encounter, please stop what you're doing now, go to nighttimepodcast.com contact, and send us a voice memo. The voice recorder is easy to use, and if you make any mistakes or misspeak, I'll edit it before it goes to air. So don't worry, make sure we all sound our best. We both hope to hear from you. Now let me end with some thanks here. 
First, a big thanks to Monty Data, who contributes the music for this episode. A shout out to LJ from the Dystopian Simulation podcast, who provides the series intro and outro voiceovers. And lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you goes out to every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. And on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Ashley, Peg, and KJ, thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show, but isn't currently subscribed to the premium feed, you can help out in a variety of ways. Of course, a premium feed subscription costs only a couple dollars a month and funds the creation of the show while giving you access to an ad-free, two-day early release date with access to a full back catalogue of episodes. But if you can't go premium, you can still help the show out by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting some like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If anyone out there has any story ideas, wants to give feedback on the show, or would like to submit a question or comment for an upcoming episode, you can reach me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.